Lord, please glorify yourself in everything that's done uh, and set up here uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's, let's just go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to John 17. We, we have three passages we're going to look at this morning. And I just want to tell you, I've really enjoyed reading through the Gospels this week and spending time with uh, the words of Jesus and, and his prayers and, and his parables and then uh, his, his passion. That's where we're, we're headed if, if you want to go ahead and fill in the blanks, because I may not give them to you later on. We're going to be talking about Jesus' prayers First, and then we'll look in Luke to his um, parables, and then that last in in Mark is uh, his passion, talking about the the last moments of of Jesus's life. So, but I've had the best time reading, focusing in on Jesus, and just being reminded that Jesus loves me so much. And so, because I was reminded of that, I wanted to bring these messages to you. And just to remind you, you already know, but that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, love you so much. So that's what I wanted to bring uh, to you this morning. So if you would uh, look at John 17, we're going to read some. I might paraphrase some. Uh, but let's, let's just go ahead and dive into to John 17. Uh, I'm going to... Just go ahead and read the first five uh, verses as, as we look through this prayer of Jesus. And it's, uh, you'll see it's in three parts. This is Jesus praying for himself. Then he goes into Jesus praying for his disciples. And then Jesus prays for all uh, believers, you, you and me included in that. So this is, what, this is where Jesus starts. 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these things and looked up to heaven. And said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. For you have given him authority over all flesh, so he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life, that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth. By completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So let's just pause right there. What's amazing to me is that even though Jesus is praying for himself, and that's a good thing for, for us to do uh, as Jesus practiced it, pray for ourselves. Such a good thing. But as he was praying for, for uh, himself, he was all the time pointing uh, glory back to the Father. Father, glor- glorify me, but glorify yourself. And what's even more amazing is that the eternal life that you and I have, it is tied up in the glory of God somehow. I don't, I can't wrap my mind around that. But I hope as you'll listen through this uh, this message that you'll you'll sense that that you'll you'll see that. So, so as we think about God and His glory. And his, um, and and just how how great and awesome he is, he his glory is uh, tied. It's linked to to me and you and to our salvation and the eternal life that he gives. 
as, as we move on into verses 6 through 19, there's a shift, and he starts now, the, the prayer's focusing in on the 11 disciples. But I want uh, to note that this prayer is just moments before uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. I was reading in my Believer's Bible commentary on this chapter, and I wanted to just uh, share it with you before we walk through the rest of the chapter. Um, it says this, that the whole prayer that we're studying right now is a beautiful illustration of our blessed Lord's intercession at the right hand of God. Remember when he, when he has ascended back into heaven after the resurrection and everything, um, he sits down at the right hand of the, of the Father and is praying for us. So uh, the commentator says that this is a, a picture of our Lord's intercession at the right hand of God, but not a word against his people. No reference to their failings or their shortcomings. He says, no. He speaks of them only as they were in the Father's purpose, as in association with himself, and as the recipients of the fullness that he, Jesus, came down from heaven to bestow upon them. And I, I just want to... The, the, what I saw is that there's no shaming of the disciples in what will happen in the few moments after, after the uh, garden. Um, I want you to listen to what Jesus prays. In verse 6, he, he says, I have revealed your name to them. At the end of verse 8, Jesus says, they have believed that you have sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. At the end of verse 10, I have been glorified in them. Verse 11, he says, Holy Father, protect them by your name. Verse 12 says, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name. I guarded them. In verse 13, Jesus wants his joy completed in them. Verse 14 says that Jesus has given them the Father's word. And in 17 through 19, Jesus wants them to be sanctified in the truth. He's, he's not, he, he's thinking, he, he's thinking down the road. He, he's not thinking, well, this person's about to betray me. Well, this person's about to, to shun my name. He's, it's, it's as if he can already see the glory of the Lord being fulfilled in, in this earth. And so he is, he is building up the disciples because he's praying out loud. So the disciples are hearing this. They're hearing the, this blessing. They're hearing the encouragement of Jesus. They're hearing the love of Jesus. And so in verses 20 through 26, we see yet another shift in this prayer. And it's where Jesus, now you can feel good about yourself. Remember when, when uh, Roger Smith a few weeks back said, do you feel special? Well, you need to feel special right here because he starts praying for you and for me and for all other uh, believers right here. I, I want to just really read that verse by verse, if you'll turn to John 17, verse 20. Listen to this. Jesus prays, I pray not only for these, talking about his, his 11 disciples at that time, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me 
and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known so the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. When I read these verses, I see a God who loves me, who cares about me, who wants me to be complete and to be whole in him. He's not mad at me. He's not wagging his finger and disgust at me. We see in this passage the, the great commission in verse 20. Those who believe in, in the message of the disciples, the generation after them believes in the, this message, the gospel message, then after them, then after them, and finally it gets to me and you, the great commission lived out through Jesus, through, through the disciples. But also see the great commandment too is wrapped up in this whole passage to love God and to love people. And so let's, uh, let's explore a little bit more. Let's go on to the next passage. And I hope that all these will be tied together for you. Luke 15, the parables of Jesus. Turn with me to Luke 15. And I hope that you'll see further the love and the care of God through these parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son, or the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son, or the loving fathers, we'll, we'll see. So why do we have these three parables in our Bible is the question. Well, it's in response to those scribes and those Pharisees saying, This man welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. Lord, you welcome, you welcome them. But then you also eat with them. And so after they had, they had poked at Jesus for a little bit, Jesus launches into these uh, parables. Now, as I was reading the parables, this is what the parables, they say to me, that we are lost or wayward. Number two, Jesus seeks after us or is looking for us. Number three, when we are found. Number four, there is great celebration. So I want to read a little bit of... of uh, this first parable of the lost sheep, if you'll, I'm going to start in verse 4, if you'll read along with me. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. So after, he's, after the Pharisees and scribes have said, oh you, oh, you welcome sinners and you eat with them, then Jesus said this, What man among you who has 100 sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. So we see in this parable, we see that one sheep is lost. This sheep is uh, in danger, the sheep is important to the shepherd. So this shepherd leaves the 99 
um, to seek out that one, that one lost sheep. And so some things were rattling around in, in my mind about him leaving that 99. But I just want to uh, tell you this morning, this shepherd was not being uncaring or unloving or saying that the other 99 weren't important. Shepherds, they worked in teams in those days. And if, if I could just bring up Luke 2.8, I'll, I'll make this point. Christmas wasn't too long ago, so Luke 2.8 may ring out in our, our minds. And, and this is what it says. It, it says, shepherds, plural, were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. So there are other shepherds taking care of the 99. The 99, they stay in the pasture. For the most part, they're safe. They're fed. They're together. And another thought popped in my head is, is that um, times in my life I've been a, a 99, part of the 99, I've been a 1. But no matter if you and I, if we're a 99 or if we're a 1, Jesus loves us. He cares about you. He cares about me. But there's something interesting here that Jesus talks about uh, later on in that, that passage, the, the lost sheep passage. He talks about joy in heaven, and he talks about repentance and so what he's doing is he's kind of stringing his audience at the time along. He's stringing us along, and he's making us think, and maybe he's, uh, he's helping us to ask this question, well, who actually repented? So let's look at the next part and see if we find out who, who actually repented. Let's read verses 8 through 10. This is the parable of a lost coin. It says, Or what woman has ten silver coins... And if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her women friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. I was reading a commentary uh, this week, and uh, this is Warren Wiersbe. And what he said over the lost coin, and I just, it was very interesting to me, and I wanted to share it with you. Uh, he, he talks about, this is his commentary on the lost coin section. He says, the sheep was lost because of its foolishness, but the coin was lost because of the carelessness of another. It is, sobering, it is a sobering thought that our carelessness at home could result in a soul being lost. Now, we, I know that we... Our relationship with God and how we come to know God, it's personal. And we can't point to anybody else where you mess me up in that. But, but I did think about how, when I read that commentary, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better um, father at home? How, how can I be a better, a better a child, a better fill-in-the-blank? That, that, when I read that, I, that's, that's what I was struck with. God helped me to be... Um, Help me to be Christ-like in, in all of my ways and in all of my words. And so that, that's how I was convicted when I read that. But, but he goes on and he says, uh, Wiersbe says, When a Jewish girl married, she began to wear a headband of ten silver coins to signify that she was, not a, uh, she was now a wife. It was the Jewish version of our modern wedding ring. And it would be considered a calamity for her to lose one of those coins. Palestinian houses were dark. So she had to light a lamp and search until she found the lost coin. And we can imagine her joy at finding it. We must not press um, 
these uh, parable images too far, but it is worth noting that the coin would have on the image of the ruler of the time. Uh, Luke twenty nineteen through 25 state that. So the lost sinner bears the image of God, even though that image has been marred by sin. When a lost sinner is found, God begins to restore that divine image through the power of the Holy Spirit. And one day, the believer will be like Christ. And he gives many other uh, passages, uh, Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 3, Colossians 3, uh, 1 John 3 there. Uh, and it goes on to say, these two parables help us understand something of what it means to be lost. To begin with, it means being out of place. Sheep belong with the flock. Coins belong on the chain. And lost sinners belong in fellowship with God. But to be lost also means being out of service. A lost sheep is of no value to the shepherd. A lost coin has no value to the owner. And a lost sinner cannot experience the enriching fulfillment God has for him in Jesus Christ. But to turn this around, to be found or to be saved means that you are back in place or reconciled to God, back in service, life has a purpose, and out of danger. No wonder the shepherd and the woman rejoiced and invited their friends to rejoice with them. So that was a powerful uh, commentary on that lost coin to me. And the thing, though, that hits me is that Jesus, he's still kind of stringing us along, though. Now he brings up rejoicing in heaven in the presence of angels over one sinner, who repents. So who repented? So Jesus finally answers that question uh, in the next parable, in the parable of the lost son in, in verse 11 and, and, and following. But so I, I just want to, uh, for the first few verses of, uh, from 11, I just want to paraphrase the, the parable. This youngest son, he asked for his inheritance early from his father. The son moves away, and he wastes his money in foolish living. He finds himself with nothing, just about as low as you can get, when he begins to think about going back to his father's house. And so he, he starts working through what he's going to say to the father, and, and, and then verse 20 happens. So let's read verse 20 together. This is what happens after all those things I just paraphrased. So he got up, the son got up, and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick! Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So as the son approached the home... The father saw him, and the father ran, started running to the, to the son. And I just want to note, I was thinking about this, that the, the father doesn't deal with the son as the Old Testament would have him do. There is no disgrace. There is no disowning of his son. If I can just tie all of these parables together, I would say that they help us see the father's 
relentless love for and the pursuit of us and the salvation that he offers. Just a question for, for all of us here. Do you know how long the Father will search for you or, and, and look for you? In verse 4, back in the lost sheep section, he'll go after the lost one until he finds it. So that's God's part in salvation, that he's, he's offering eternal life through Jesus Christ and everything that Jesus did. And he's seeking, John 4 says that he's seeking, he's looking for people that will worship him in spirit and truth. He, he's, he's seeking me and you out until he finds us. And so that's God's part, but just as God has a part in salvation, we have a part to play too. Just as the son did when, when the son recognized he needed to repent and turn to the father, in the same way we must repent and turn to the father if we want to receive that eternal Abundant life and salvation from the loving Father and the celebration that comes with it. Now, I'm reminded of the verse that talks about how God is patient. I'm probably misquoting this verse, but he's patient, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come uh, to repentance. And so just just one last passage that I hope will tie it all together um, is uh, Mark 14. We're going to be, I just, I call it the passion. When you get up here... You have to make things rhyme, and for some reason the points have to start with the same letter or, or something like that. So it's uh, the, the prayers of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, and now the passion of Jesus. And as I was looking up passion, what it meant, it's from a Latin verb. Uh, my Latin's not, not good uh, these days, but patior or pasusum, which means to suffer. To bear. Now think about Jesus doing all this. To suffer, to bear, to endure. And also we see in this word patience or being patient. And passion is just simply the short final period in the life of Jesus. Um, and it's, it's amazing. And I'm going to uh, go back to this. It's amazing to think about the glory of God is wrapped up in what is about to happen in this last week uh, of Jesus' life before he is raised from the tomb. Uh, remember back in John 17 that his glory is somehow wrapped up in our eternal life through Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is read Mark 14. Uh, I'm going to be in, uh, just start in verse 32. Uh, but before I do that, I was reminded of a powerful verse in Hebrews 12:2 when I, when I was thinking through uh, Jesus' final week on, on earth. Hebrews 12:2 says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him. Now, I want to, there's going to be a lot of suffering and a lot of pain and a lot of, a lot of Jesus enduring a lot of things. But Hebrews says that it was for the joy that lay before him. He endured a cross and despised the shame that, that has, uh, and he has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. So with that verse in mind, let's read uh, Mark Oh, let me get there. Mark 14. I got to go backwards. Mark 14, and I'm going to start reading at verse 32. So verse 32, it says, um, Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, 
And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and horrified. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Then he went a little farther, fell to the ground, and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. Simon, are you sleeping? He asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. The reason I chose Mark's gospel to, to go into uh, to Gethsemane and, and then the, uh, the cross and the, and the grave is because uh, Mark points out that Jesus uses the word Abba, Father. Now, Abba, for, for us, English, it, it basically means daddy. It's, a, it's a intimacy. No one had ever spoken to Almighty God the way that Jesus spoke um, about God at this point in his life. But Jesus said, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. And the next part, um, I, I'm sure it was harder for Jesus to pray. And when we pray, it's, it, it's harder for us to pray in this way. But Jesus said, Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So the garden... What the garden prayer does is it should help us when we suffer. It should help us voice prayers. Something like this. uh, Daddy, Father, you can do anything. I need your help. I believe. Help my unbelief. I don't feel your presence. Why won't you heal? But this is always just as Jesus prayed. This This is a hard prayer to pray. Nevertheless... Not what I will, but what you will, God. That's a tough thing to pray. But Jesus voiced it, and I believe this, this scene, this, this account, should help us voice our prayers. It should help us in dark times in our life, too. So then, after that, comes the betrayal by Judas and the trials and the denial by Peter, the mocking, the beating. And then he was led to Golgotha to be crucified on the cross. And so I, I wanted to just, I, I was trying to think, what are, the, what are those sayings of Jesus on the cross? And I pull, pulled it off the web, and I, uh, I just wanted to remind us of the final words of Jesus on the, on the cross. And th- these aren't in any particular order, but it's, remember he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's hard to wrap my ra- mind around um, how intimate Jesus was in the prayers and in uh, the preceding moments. Abba, Father, such a thing of intimacy. Um, uh, 
But then he launches into, my God, my God, why, has you, why have you forsaken me? And I, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that Hebrews verse. The joy set before him and all this pain and suffering. Uh, number two, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Number three, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Talking about the thief on the cross. Number four, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Number five, dear woman, here's your son talking to, to John the disciple um, and, and his mother. Here, here, here's your son. Number six, I'm thirsty. And uh, last but definitely not least, number seven, it is finished. And because it is finished, I think of a few more verses and this is the part where we need to say, boy, I really do feel special, as Roger put it the other Sunday. First Peter two twenty four through 25, it says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. I also think of 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That awesome love, that never-ending searching for, for you and me. That's what Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit did for, for us. And his glory is wrapped up in that. One last thing. Uh, is the grave. If you flip over to Mark 16, verse 1 through 7, I want to just read about the, the glorious resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus. Mark chapter 16, I'm just going to go through 7. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they could go and anoint him. See, they... That all this resurrection talk and the rising from the grave that Jesus talked about, they, it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. They, they were uh, going to prepare his, his body for in, in the customs that they did in that day and, and prepare him for, for, uh, uh, for him lay, laying in the tomb. So very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. And I'm so glad he said his disciples and Peter. Well, Peter had been really beat up that week, hadn't he? Jesus had told him, you're going you're gonna to deny me at a certain point. And then, and then um, uh, in, the, in the garden, remember, Jesus pointed out Simon. He's the only name. Uh, Simon, Peter, uh, you can't stay awake. And then Peter denies him um, right there as, as Jesus was being arrested and, and carted off. 
So I believe this is, this is the part where Peter starts being restored by the Lord, uh, this, this uh, angel or, or this, uh, this person in, in the white robe um, said, Tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there uh, just as he, he told you. So um, as I was finishing this and, and looking at this, the glorious resurrection of, of the Lord, I was just reminded of, of uh, John fourteen nineteen. And um, and in all of these prayers and parables and and the passion of Jesus, I really hope that you saw the Father's relentless pursuit of you and His love and His mercy and His grace for you and me, and uh, how He really does have open arms and He cares about you, and um, and He's going to celebrate when when. Uh, when we're in fellowship and relationship with him. But I, I was reminded of John fourteen nineteen. It says this, uh, In a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live. You will live too. So that's the, that's the promise of Jesus, that because of his sinless life, because of his sacrificial death on the cross, and because he was raised to life from the tomb, because he lives, you and I, we can live too. So, there you have it. What I want to do for the invitation this morning is something a little bit different. A lot of times we'll have a time of response, and if, if there's any decisions need to be made, um, I'm just going to wait till after the, the service if you need to make any decisions in following Christ or joining the church or... Um, you can do that. I'll stay around for a little bit um, after the service. But what I was thinking of, maybe sometimes decisions aren't made right now. Sometimes you have to wrap your mind and heart around some things. Maybe it's next week or, or in a month. But um, if that's the case, just give us a call, and we'll walk through some things with you. But so let's end with just all of us praying just in your heart to the Lord thanking him for his, his love and how he pursues us and how his glory is wrapped up in that eternal life that we can turn to him just like that lost son did. So, so let's just take a few moments to pray, and then I'll close us out in praying. And let's just sing Amazing Grace at, at the end of that, and then we'll be dismissed. So this is your, your time to pray. Ask God, thank God for his love and his grace and mercy. And then I'll close praying for us. Lord, as we uh, continue to pray, uh, 
God, just we thank you and we're reminded about that prayer in John 17 where you prayed for the Father's glory in and through you, in and through us. God, we are so thankful that your glory is wrapped up in that eternal life, the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And how much you loved your disciples back then and, and wanted to bless and encourage through them. But also, God, how much you love us. Um, so many years after the cross, you love us. You want us to be united with each other, united with you, Father. God, remind us of those parables how you seek us out until you find us. How some days we may be straying from you, wandering from you, and how you'll seek us out. But also, Lord, you, you still love the 99, and you made sure that they were fed and taken care of and they had pasture. And we're reminded of that lost son that that came to his senses, that got up, that went back to the father. And we're reminded of that loving father that did not shame, that did not disgrace, but that wrapped his loving arms around his son and celebrated his son coming home. That's how much you love us. That's how much you love those that will repent and turn to you, God. You don't wag your finger at us and... And shame and disgust. You love us. You welcome us home. And finally, Lord, as we worship, as we uh, talked about the passion of the Christ, we talked about how we can have an intimate relationship with Abba Father. And that you help us with our prayers as we suffer. We can, we can pray just as Jesus did. God, help me as I'm going through this. But let your will be done in my life. And we saw how you died on the cross, how you bore our sins in you on the cross, and how you were raised in glory from the tomb. And just as we sang this morning, hallelujah, you did it, Lord. So I pray that you were blessed, you were glorified in everything that was done in this service today, God. Protect us. God, keep us out of harm's way. Help us to turn to you and repent. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and uh, let's sing Amazing Grace. James, I can't even remember if I... Okay, I did put it in there. That's good. So this will be how we'll close out this morning. If you have any decisions you need to make, we can handle those after the service. Join the church. Um, uh, if you want to uh, seek the Lord out for salvation, anything like that, um, that can, that can be handled. So let's sing together Amazing Grace, and then we'll be dismissed. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Amen. Good singing, good worship today. I hope you all have a great afternoon.